Hello, and welcome to the Learn It Podcast, a weekly conversation with global education leaders for people who are passionate about the future of learning. I'm your host, reporter and author, Jenny Anderson. Our guest today is Sabu Mieni, co-founder and CEO of Mbeleku, a South African charity that runs a range of after-school programs in the Valley of a Thousand Hills in Durban, as well as offering scholarships to high potential academic children in the community. Sabu and her twin sister were beneficiaries of scholarships at age 12, which sent them to boarding school and then university. Sabu became a banker and Seni, her sister, a doctor. But when Seni was diagnosed with a brain tumor, the two founded Mbeleku to pay forward the opportunities they had been given. Seni died and Sabu has continued the work to honor her sister by providing intensive support to children with academic promise, but who face challenges to getting an education. Of the 600 children in school and 500 children out of school Mbeleku has worked with, 75% are affected by or infected by HIV AIDS, 95% are double orphaned or raised by a single parent, 100% are poor, and 0% are reading a grade level. We offer holistic education support to super talented children, but they are vulnerable in the sense that their parents either can afford quality education for them or their parents themselves are not educated, mostly are illiterate. So they don't really have an understanding of how talented their kids are and how big dreams they could have. And so we come into that gap and work with those children to ensure they get quality education from primary school all the way to ensuring that they're responsible citizens. Sabu came on the podcast to talk about the partnership she formed with UCT Online, which we featured in our last episode. UCT Online is a digital high school, which is itself a partnership between the University of Cape Town, which is trying to reduce its first year dropout rate, and the Valenture Institute, which is trying to improve access to high quality education in Africa through technology. This episode delves into the challenges of bringing online education to poor rural communities. It highlights creative ways nonprofits like Sabu's can team up with platforms like UCT Online to fill critically important gaps from providing a place to work for children when home is not a safe place, to academic support, socialization, activities, and a place to safely store technology. At a moment where we know technology can leverage learning through access, personalization, and high quality content, Sabu explains in very frank terms what works for the vulnerable kids in her community and what doesn't. I hope you enjoy listening. Sabu, thank you so much for joining us. Tell me a little bit about Mbeleku. My name is Sbu Sisi Wemieni, but everybody calls me Sbu. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Mbeleko Foundation. We have been running for the past 12 years. We're based in a rural community called Guanyuswa in the Valley of a Thousand Hills in Durban, South Africa. And this was a community for many years that was impacted by HIV and AIDS. So for quite a bit, the community was raising children that were orphaned because at the time there was no treatment. So for a while they raised children who didn't have both parents and mainly raised by their grandparents. So my twin sister and I founded the organization on the premise that we had been supported by many people through our academic journey and we got scholarships that were introduced to by different mentors and we wanted to pay it forward to this generation of children who initially we're being raised by grandparents and of course over time with treatment even though their families are impacted they do have parents but mainly raised by single mothers 
So we offer holistic education support to super talented children, but they are vulnerable in the sense that their parents either can afford quality education for them or their parents themselves are not educated, mostly are illiterate. So they don't really have an understanding of how talented their kids are and how big dreams they could have. And so we come into that gap and work with those children to ensure they get quality education from primary school all the way to ensuring that they're responsible citizens. How did the partnership with UCT Online come about? So I'm a UCT alumni myself. So when I heard from them, I was just overwhelmed. So last year, we finished building what was originally supposed to be a digital after-school academy. So we've always ran an after-school program where our own university students would come in on Saturdays to teach and tutor our kids. So when COVID hit, we were approached by local private schools in the area that we've always worked with as peer mentors to our kids. And they said, because they know us so well, they know that their kids will continue to work and get an education, but rural kids will not have that opportunity. So this was the the class that had finished high school the previous year. They offered via Zoom to teach our metric class that was going to go to university the next year. And I remember sitting in for the first class and thinking, oh my goodness, in the midst of this horrible pandemic, here is a solution because this was peer teaching. So this was students that knew us, that understood the English and maths comprehension challenges that our kids face. And there was a lot that was happening in those sessions and our kids were able to ask questions. And at the end of it, they said, this is an opportunity we don't even have in our own classrooms because in our schools, you find that in a classroom, you have over 80 children. So a teacher will not have the opportunity to engage with kids, especially those who are being left behind. So we knew that online learning was the future. We just didn't know how. But also at at the beginning of COVID, we were in the process of building this space where we thought they were going to be physically taught by these tutors that used to come in on Saturdays. And so we just knew. And when we approached corporate and we needed furniture and tablets and computers, we knew that's where we needed to go but it was still just an after-school program. So when UCT Online High School announced a scholarship program, I called in all our grade seven kids and I was like, we have a center, take a shot and let's see whether you make it. And so interview was like an online recording. So we're recording all of them on site. And so all of these rural children that were applying at the same time, And so they reached out to us. They're like, who are you? We have this opportunity. Let's have a conversation and see whether we can do this together. So you're building this physical after-school program. COVID comes. You have peer-to-peer Zoom learning and you see the promise of online. And the physical center then becomes an opportunity to do some of that online learning. You hear about UCT online and they have a scholarship program. Your kids are applying to this and a bunch of them get accepted into the program. So none of our kids qualified for the scholarship program. So this was the Sunlam scholarship program that was earmarking 100 talented learners like ours. But we knew that it was a long shot because we knew that our kids are struggling with English and maths comprehension. 
So just to give a bit of history, we have had 75 kids go through a boarding school program in historic schools here in KZN. And they struggled in the beginning with the adjustment, but they finished metric as A performers. So we knew how capable our kids were but we were unsure at how they would fed UCT and they didn't do well in the assessment. So when UCT spoke to us, it was specifically because they'd been having conversations with the South African Human Rights Commission around providing this online learning opportunities, but to rural children. And so we fitted the bill. They knew our kids didn't make the cut with everybody else. But it was like, how do we do this together? How do we help them to make this adjustment? And that's what we've been doing. We've made sure that we get our own graduates that have gone through our boarding school program, have gone through university and qualified. So they facilitate without getting involved in curriculum, but they're physically present in the classroom so that when a child has a question, is struggling with a word, they're not quite comprehending what they're learning. They're there to provide that support. And in the just one term, they've done exceptionally well. So how many learners do you have? We have 15 learners. And tell me about the progress you've seen. There's a couple of things that we've picked up. The first one was initially they were so scared and uncomfortable because this is so traditional learning. It's also in such a traditional you know, rural community. So there was also that sense of what if this doesn't work? People are going to laugh at us. Even the families themselves were uncomfortable because they'd seen so many people coming into community, whether it's social projects, touching them and they were not working out. And so there was that fear, both from the kids as well as their families. And then it was just the adjustment. They had never touched the laptop in their lives or even physically seen one. So this was also what made it very important that we had facilitators in the classroom, firstly, just to teach them the basics of using a computer. But we were just blown away at how fast they picked it up. We thought it would take like a month. Within a week, they were able to just navigate on their own. And then it was the adjustment of being in a classroom with so you people, and it's just you and the computer. They were getting bored easily. They were trying to fast track and get to the end. And so having a facilitator again, like that ability to reflect on the day and have conversation about what they've learned, it helped to slow them down. The facilitators play some kind of mentorship role because remember, they've also been in a boarding school environment where in a rural community, they were number one in class. They were an A performer. But in terms of content, they were not covering enough content. And all of a sudden, they're in a school where they realize that they're probably two grades behind. So that work that they had to do on their own to catch up has helped a lot for them to become mentors to the UCT online scholars because they're able to guide them that we've gone through similar challenges. You know, the most amazing thing is you have a computer, you've got the internet. So you can research more if there's something that you don't understand. Whereas previously in a traditional school, they learn whatever the teacher gives to them and that's it. And then when they get to write the paper, 
we've been finding that kids that were A performers in primary school, by the time they get to grade 10, they drop out of maths and science, which they're normally good at when they're in primary school. So it's been amazing to see how they've picked it up and realized that it's all up to them. They just need to work hard and they can achieve whatever results that they set their minds on. What are the biggest challenges you've seen so far? Electricity problems. This year, everything that could go wrong went wrong. We've had floods twice. We're currently going through load shedding. So when we don't have access to electricity, they can't learn. The network goes down, so we don't have access to Wi-Fi. So they've constantly had to catch up. So ultimately, we've had to get a generator, you know, for us to continue learning. But it's something that makes you realize that there's a certain level of privilege maybe that has to go with this type of learning, which is so important. I feel like this has to be the solution for rural communities like ours, but it comes with a lot of funding that's required to ensure that there's the infrastructure that's required to run this kind of schooling and education. How important is having that physical space? Arguably, many children will do it in their homes, on their computers, but you're taking a different approach, which is you're doing it in a space together with these mentors. It is key. I don't see how a child that's vulnerable in a rural community can do with learning at home on their own. When I look at education just in general, there's a lot of support that's required, even from parents, even the most privileged, there's that support that's required at home. For rural communities, it is almost 100% unlikely that those children will have that support. So this kind of space is critical in terms of their provision of that support. It's also important because they can't sit in front of a screen throughout the day. So having facilitators to create those gaps, to allow them to go outside, we we actually function like a school. So we have a PT trainer who comes in twice a week and it's the highlight of their day. You can even see in terms of their performance, their focus when they're in class, when they've had that break to go and play and do competitive sports, it does something for them. So it is critical that there's spaces like this, and it's a class of 15, and we hope that every year we we get to add a grade. But it's important for them to interact with each other, to grow together versus a child just being at home alone. So maybe in other communities where kids are able to go to a sports club, it works differently. So these ones, they really need to create a community for themselves where they're able to do stuff together. And just describe the space to me itself. It's quite a small space that we're building up, but it's got three classrooms. So it's like a tech space. So it's got desks that are facing the wall. So it's not like your normal classroom. Each classroom fits about 15 kids. So they split into two classrooms and then they have access to an additional classroom where they have one-on-ones with their teachers or other groups that are not in the physical classroom. And then we have a courtyard with chairs and tables. It functions like a a, a dining room. So when it's lunchtime or break time, they're able to spend time there together. And then we have a kitchen where we're able to prepare meals for them. And then we have quite a big grass patch where they're able to go out and play and have fun. We also have a garden for them, a vegetable garden that supplies our kitchen. So they get to work there because they need to also contribute to what happens in the space. So 
that's a space that they truly love. So they have lessons as well. They learn a lot about different vegetables and herbs. So that really clears their minds. How has this experience shaped how you see online learning as a potential solution to the many challenges of rural education in South Africa? Firstly, it's something that's very personal to me because I had a twin sister and she was an A player kid. We went to one of the top boarding schools for black kids in South Africa. And it was a small school, very small, similar to this environment. But she was a student that got it in in the classroom. And I remember like we had a math teacher for three years who would not care to explain if he didn't understand. To him, if the first child gets it, that was it. And so I struggled with maths because I need to unpack something on my own. And so when I saw this opportunity, I was like, oh my goodness, this is a perfect solution for a kid like me. Because when I eventually went to the University of Cape Town and I majored in statistics, I went back to my school and I said to my teacher, how do I struggle with maths in your classroom? And then I go to UCT and I get to major in statistics. And it was the same thing. I didn't have a DP to write my first year exam. And our professor came to a lecture and a list of names. He said, I need to see all of these students. There were 13 of us. And he said, you have something in you. You're just struggling with a little bit of application. So if you give me 10 hours during your study week for me to help you to get it, I'll allow you to write and we'll see where it goes. For me, online learning is an opportunity for a child to have access to content. You know, a teacher will teach you in a classroom and they are gone but you're constantly able to repeat something that you're struggling with. And the UCT model, the amazing thing about it is it then allows you to be in a group tutorial when you haven't caught in class and you still have another opportunity to have a one-on-one session with your teacher. So you have so many opportunities to get it. This is something you never find in a normal classroom. Are the peers that come in the mentors, are those success coaches? In fact, we've called them non-teacher teachers. So these are graduates. They come in for a year internship that's funded by corporates. And they do plan to go and work in corporate themselves, but they've studied law, engineering. Currently, we have a a UKZN major in maths and, and physics. So you just have the best of our own um, graduates and then in the classroom with these. So they're able to help them across the board. Anything you would change if you were running UCT online? It's a challenge that I think other communities will face. And it's a security problem. We are in communities where the moment a school has computers, they're gone within a day. We have spent probably 50% of the funding was spent on building the center on security, building a strong room, putting a fence, like a whole lot of things that we put in our space. We still are unable to allow our kids to take laptops home because it's risky on the road. So we had each child has two laptops, one for home and one for here, which is so unnecessary and makes it expensive. And I think for us, the gift for our kids is we've been running for 12 years. So we have companies and individuals that trust us that will be there throughout the journey to provide the the support that we need, the finance that we need 
to ensure that this works. But it's not all communities that will be able to do that. So the crime factor in communities when it comes to technology, it's sad because it takes away from communities. It takes opportunities from these children who would access this type of education and thrive. Tell me something that surprised you. In the beginning, they came in wearing their own clothes. I just had a sense that they were happy to be here, but there was just something that was not connecting. And they were learning in class, but seeing them, I, I couldn't figure out what it was. But we promised them that we would put them in uniform. So we had ordered this uniform for them. And I promise you, it was almost like we had just put on a switch. The moment they wore that uniform, they knew they were different. They knew they were in this special environment. It doesn't even have a UCT logo on it, but they wear it with so much pride. And for me, the reason why we decided to have uniform was because these are kids that come, yes, from poorer part of the community. And we knew that they wouldn't constantly be able to wear different clothes every day. That was just our thinking around it. But the pride that they have, and I, I, I don't know, maybe it's just like the one traditional thing that has always been there that kids need to wear uniform to go to school. We don't have traditional uniform. A uniform, they have techies and golf tees. And when they stand outside the gate and they're waiting for transport to go home, you can see even when kids from other school go past that they're standing there and they're like, wouldn't you want to be like us? So I, I love that. I love that. It's like we're creating a brand and it's also challenging members of the community to ask what's going on. What are you doing? We're getting approached by so many people who want to enroll their kids here, even those who want to pay fees. So that's quite exciting for me to see. I mean, in the beginning, when we're running an after-school program, kids were determined they were there all the time. But every time we called on parents for a meeting, nobody would rock up. These parents, every single meeting you call, they're there. And they're constantly talking about how the community is just excited for their kids. So for them, it's like if they wear that uniform, it's like they're wearing a badge of honor. Tell me about one of your students and tell me how they've changed. We have 15 kids and we have two boys. But there's this one boy that qualified for the, for the scholarship. And I love how he's taken everything and realizes that his dreams are now so much bigger than he ever imagined. So he has a laptop at home, but his family can't afford to buy him data for the laptop at home. His mom is a beader. So he asked his mother to teach him how to make beadwork. And every week he makes a couple of bracelets and he gives them to his mother to sell for him at the market so that he can buy data. For me, that is just a sign of a young person who got an opportunity and realized what it is and is working twice as hard to find other opportunities to ensure that he doesn't lose it and that he excels. Are you seeing them progress at a faster pace in this environment than you would perhaps in a traditional school? Do you even have any way of gauging that academic progress? Mentorship has always been key for me in terms of the work that I do. And most of our boarding school kids struggled for the first two years. But we knew this from the first three girls that we took to boarding school, that over time they'll adjust. 
But what we also learned through their journey was pairing them up with the right mentors from the beginning to ensure that they provide that continuous guidance academically and otherwise. And that's what we're trying to focus on. And that's not limited to just the facilitators they work with in the classroom. It is also bringing in professionals to become mentors. They work virtually, they physically visit them because there'll be those moments where they feel they're not good enough. They will be in a tutorial with the child that comes from another private school environment and they just feel they're not good enough. They are still scared to express themselves. Even though they have answers, it takes a while for them to have that comfort. So there's two things that I'm focusing on. They are English comprehension. So we're trying to get them to read as much as they can. That's also taking time because their schoolwork is so much more. They they just have a lot of adjustment to do, even in terms of their schoolwork. There's a lot of repetition for them to understand. So it's going to take a while. But the other assessments I've been doing, they've been acing them. But I've constantly said to them, until you do your cycle tests, that will be the true assessment of your performance. And again, from experience of having run a boarding school scholarship program, the first term cannot determine where the child is and where the child is going. It's always full of tears. Like every time they get their first term results, I have to be physically there, speak to teachers and guide. But by the end of the year, they're doing so much better. So they got their results for their cycle test. Last week, there were a lot of tears and they, they're still questioning certain things. So we've ensured that we work with UCT to get those answers that they have. But for me, it is constantly reminding them that you are here because you are the best. And we will work with you and ultimately they'll thrive because children like them are not used to failure. They've been A performers throughout. And so even from the beginning, when we spoke to parents, we told them that you might find that your child will drop even below 50. You need to learn to help to work with them and keep reassuring them that it will get better. So that's where we currently are with them. In some subjects, we're like, but you've done well, and they they still expect more. So it's a journey, and we work with each and every one of them individually so that they're not left behind, and also they're not discouraged. They, They don't lose hope. What does school look like? They walk in in the morning, and what happens? So we got a local transport guy that brings them in together. And they start every morning with assembly. And so they pray together. They sing together. We even have like each and every day has its own hymn. A lot of what we do is based on what I learned in boarding school. Things that I reflect on now and realize how they built my confidence and how they made me feel like I was part of a community. So how we run our assembly is based on that. And then to also help them with the English comprehension, we listen to SAFM News at eight o'clock and they have to write how they comprehend the news. And then we have a discussion, like a five minute discussion on the news. It's something we used to do as well in school. And it just teaches you a lot about current affairs and also just, you know, 
comprehension and being able to summarize what's going on around you on a daily basis. And then they're in class, they take breaks. We are working with a local private school, St. Mary's DSG. They share a lot of games and a lot of things with us that we get the kids to, to do just for them to distract themselves a little bit during break time. And then lunchtime, they have lunch together. And they finish around 2.30 and they go home together. They also get to do sports at St. Mary's DSG once a week. That's important that they get to interact with other children in other schools. And we hope that we'll be able to do more of that as well. You know, whether it's debating things that will allow them to just engage with other communities and grow in confidence. And just so I understand the online bit. They're all going to go onto their laptops. They're going to do their classes through UCT online. Are they doing the same class or are they doing different classes? They do the same class, but their paces are different. They have a schedule every morning after the news. They catch up with the facilitator on where they are on each subject. And then if anybody's left behind, they encourage them to do more work when they get home. Because it helps them when they have discussions that they're almost on par. So there's the class at UCT and there's the one-on-one tutoring plus the small group tutoring that happens at different times during the day. Yes. So they, they get allocated time slots. So they get booked into their calendar and then they go into another classroom. How many one-on-ones would they have a week and how many small groups would they have a week? It varies. It's all based on the assessments that they would have done. Okay. So it, it varies on where they are struggling and, and they need help. Do you think it would work if you didn't have the space? Honestly, I don't think it would work. And I'm saying this because there's a lot of work we still do with parents to encourage them to do more work over the weekends. So when they need to catch up and you do find... They work really hard at home. And remember, these are also A-player kids. Their level of commitment will not be the same as a child that was an average child in primary school. So they still need a classroom environment. They still need a facilitator in the classroom in order for them to kind of push themselves. It's not because they're not capable but it's because their home environment is not a learning environment at all. I can safely say I work with 13 high schools and primary schools. Our children barely get any homework. So they're not used to doing any work at home. It just would not work. And again, I'm saying this because we run an after-school program. So the last two years, we used to give our kids tablet to go and learn at home. And it wasn't working. So we've even changed that to them coming here after school. We also run an after school program. And our kids from other local high schools, they get to access the UCT curriculum on tablets here on site after after the ones that are in school have gone home. And it's working so well when they're here. They're so focused. They're so diligent. But the two years when they're working from home on their own, it wasn't working. Well, it sounds like you're running about 10,000 different things. (laughs) You're running schools, you're running after schools, you're running online schools, so you're busy. Yes. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you. When I spoke with Rob Paddock last week, who co-founded UCT Online, I was struck by the possibility it offers in South Africa where the supply demand imbalance for schools is staggering. 
but I wondered how you fill in the very notable gaps inherent in K-12 online learning. Wealthy, digitally connected kids struggled to learn online during the pandemic. How is this model gonna work for those who didn't have the parental support, peer support, and connection to teachers and technology to succeed? As Cebu says, when I look at education, there's a lot of support that's required, even from parents, even the most privileged at home. For rural communities, it is almost 100% unlikely that those children will have that support. Mbeleko is a fascinating case study. It offers a place to go, computers, two sets to deal with the reality of life in the Valley of a Thousand Hills, tutors from the community that can support children and even uniforms, which clearly can make a huge difference. It strikes me that this combination of a deeply rooted community organization with trust as well as infrastructure might be what's necessary to make an all digital education really take off, certainly in rural communities, but maybe all communities. Few question the ability of tech to create great content. Many are struggling to figure out how to make it work for kids and teens who need support, socialization, activities, and teachers and tutors who know them. Creative partnerships, whether it be between the Valenture Institute and UCT or UCT Online and Mbeleku are clearly needed. I found myself inspired by the work Sabu is doing and humbled by the challenges she faces. As I grumble about a train strike in London, she regularly contends with flooding, which knocks out Wi-Fi and makes learning impossible, children facing the most challenging of circumstances, and a government that is not gonna step in with resources or answers. She's patient. She knows it takes time for kids to catch up and show the world what they're made of, but she has faith from her own lived experience and her work to know it can be done. As education systems buckle under financial, political, and social pressure, it feels like with every passing day, it's more on us, families, tech companies, nonprofits, to come up with solutions and to have the patience to see them through. But as Cebu explains so eloquently, these are battles worth fighting. Thanks for listening. We'll link to the items mentioned in today's podcast in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and share it. And you can find out more about our community of global education leaders and upcoming meetups by joining our mailing list at learnit.world. In the meantime, stay safe, stay curious, and see you next week.